Hello there, and welcome. My name is Kylie Kane, and this is the Verzian Chronicles. Today, we're taking a wild look at Battle Century G. Today's specific episode to be about how to play Battle Century. If you enjoy this episode, we'll continue with uh, character creation because I realized that uh, this episode is going to be a lot of reading, and uh, I don't want to take too much of your time with just reading directly the book. But that's kind of what we're going to be doing. So let's get started into how Battle Century G works. Now, you might be wondering, what is Century G? Now, Battle Century G is a very interesting tabletop role-playing experience where you play the pilot of a mech. And not any sort of mech, but we're talking Gundam-style mecha. We're talking Tenga Top and Gurren Lagan. We're talking Evangelion, that style of mech, if you're familiar with them. So let's get started. So the game is grouped into, when, when you play a session, uh, which would normally be uh, you get together at a table or get together on an online table, uh, whether you uh, use like Roll20 or a virtual uh, tabletop, you get together and instead of calling these sessions, they're called episodes, just like your standard anime or standard TV show. So think of this as playing a TV show or playing an episode of an anime uh, of your favorite mecha anime. Uh, so anim uh, the episodes are divided into two parts, okay? They're divided into intermissions and operations. Now, the intermissions are when the pilots shine, okay? These are the pilot scenes. They uh, This is where... Uh, characters do um, the talking, the working on their mechs. This is the drama. This is where all the drama comes out. It's part of the drama because you can't say that drama does not happen in the scenes, in the operations. But a lot of the drama, a lot of the setup for the operation or the mission is going to come through the intermission. And what you're going to do is you're going to you're going to highlight uh, in each scene, in each in each intermission scene, each. Uh, the GM, uh, the Game Master, is going to be describing when and where this takes place, of course. And it's going to be uh, describing which characters are asking which characters doing what in this scene. Now, not everyone, not all of the group might be in this scene. Not everyone will be there, uh, but most of them will. The players who are in the scene in question will be asked to participate who speak in characters. That means they are the mouthpiece of their piece of mouth piece of their PC. My mouth got dry there for a second. Uh, so you're the mouthpiece of your PC, so you can do what acting, or you can talk in third person, however makes you feel the most comfortable, of course. Um, of course, any amount of players can be in a scene, um, and if, unless it's just not one for your character. So the key thing is, uh, then we got operations, which are where the mecha come out. These are mecha battles. These are the battles. These are the um, infiltrating the enemy base. These are running through a canyon. These are the assaulting the, the space colony. These are the scenes where something is happening in the mecha. So, of course, scenes should go on until declared, until it's declared finished. Uh, usually after everyone has said what they've needed to say or done what they've needed to do. Um, this is, of course, talking about the first scene here. Uh, the first scene in an episode typically will be the intermission, um, talking about 
uh, gathering the cast for the episode to declare what the common goal is. This is going to be the okay. So if this episode is the training episode, you know, uh, the kid, the kid that the, the pilots are, you know, just entering the academy or just just fresh released from the academy. This is a group of kids that are fresh from the academy. Uh, they're going to have a short training session together, right? So you'll have. Um, this meeting scene where everyone gets together. Uh, after the first scene, the GM will oftentimes go to another common scene for the group. Uh, if if there needs to be like a cafeteria scene or something like that to continue the drama of whatever's going on in the first scene. Uh, or the players can ask the players to ask if they want to have seen themselves. Um, so this can be maybe you have a scene where um, you know, we're going to name a couple Jimmy and, and, and George are uh, working on their mecca. You know, they're in the garage, maybe of the, of the of their facility, whatever it may be. And you have a scene with just them two as they work on their mecca and talk about that and deal with that. Um, and of course, these can go in any order. Uh, the the book actually recommends going clockwise as a group to get a consensus on who should go uh, going clockwise. If there's a good idea, if there isn't a con uh, of course, at some point things are going to slow down. It's going to slow down. The scenes are going to come to a close. This is a cue to switch from the intermission to the operation. Now, of course, before the operation starts thoroughly, uh, the players will be informed on what they're fighting, why, when and where the battle will take place, and any special conditions for victory and or defeat. Uh, oftentimes, there's a briefing scene. You'll do a briefing scene, um, like just, just giving you an example, in the flash, in the scene that I will be, in the game that I will be running, uh, I do plan on having a flashback scene, because the game is going to start in media res, um, but we're going to actually begin with a flashback scene to before the events of the game. Um, and that'll be the uh, one of the briefing scenes and some of that happened, why they're in their situation there as the scene goes. Um, of course, uh, the operation itself, all it is is really just an action scene. Uh, same as the same as the intermission scene is just this is action oriented. Uh, it does have more formalized rules. This is a combat uh, effectively uh, boils down to a really simple premise is if there are robots, there is combat. They're going to be fighting. Of course, the operation will end when all enemies are wiped out or after they retreat and or the opposite is if a mission, if you've got a mission, you know, infiltrate the base, uh, maybe your goal is to obtain uh, a blueprint that is stored on a server. So you have one of the uh, mechs. Maybe you're playing in a small mech where everything is like a mech suit, right? Instead of like like towering mecha, everything's like a mech suit, specialized mech suit. So maybe you've infiltrated a base and you're trying to obtain the secret formula for uh, Chemical X, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. And that's going to be your goal. So maybe you, in this operation, you've obtained the chemical uh, and the operation is that's a good spot for the operation to end, right? And then you could um you can also play out if you want to play out escaping, you can play out escaping, whatever it may be, right? Uh, after that, normally you'll have another short intermission scene that is going to be like the end of the episode where everyone's kind of debriefing, cracking jokes, being goofy, whatever it may be. That's gonna be the end of the episode. This is drama filled. Um of course, uh, things that a lot of people may not realize, scenes do not have to occur in real time. Uh, the scene can take up to an hour of playtime, as it says in the book, and consists of only 10 minutes, or it could take hours of real 
uh, we could actually, you know, talk for hours and do stuff, or it, and it actually, you know, in game be hours of, of hard working, working on the mechs, whatever, and it only be five minutes of playtime. Uh, scenes always often have a specific position, uh, purpose in mind. Uh, which means everyone's gathered at that location to do something. There might be fixing up their mechs, getting together for game poker, uh, talking about the debrief, whatever it may be. And any scene that happens, uh, the players or the GM needs to have a clear purpose in mind what this scene is going to accomplish. This is part of the reason that when I talk about Battle Century G, um, I recommend for the GMs, if you're a GM and you're wanting to run this game, have an idea for the episode in mind of what you're going to do. And this is not to say that you don't have like the player input on what the episode is going to be, but have an overarching idea of what the episode is going to be so you can kind of guide the scenes where they need to go uh, for the episode to play out. Maybe not the way you want it to because you're not you're, you're playing to find out. Be, be aware that you're playing to find out what happens always. When you're playing a tabletop game, that should be your core. As you play to find out what happens, you're not playing to see your story be enacted. You're playing to find out what happens, right? Um so you're going to have a have like an uh, uh, an outline of what could happen, of what the major story beats will be. Right? These are these are scenes that got to be hit to to progress through the episode, uh, much like you would for a an episode of of, of good TV, of good anime, whatever it may be. But you're you're you're, you're the players are going to kind of guide through that outline, and that's why you do if you want if you're making an outline, you want to make it generic enough to where. Uh, you know, the characters can win, they can lose, they, things can happen, things can change, uh, maybe not change the script completely, but it's going to push it in a certain direction. Uh, and that is, if you're if you're reading along, by the way, if you're reading along with the book, uh, of course, you can buy it in the, uh, you can find a link in the description box below. I just punched my mic. Um, you can find the link in the description box below. Uh, so check that out, of course, and you, that's on page 16, by the way. So uh, let's say we get into an action, get into a combat, whatever it may be, get into a unit test, something where a test needed. Um, now tests, of course, we're going to describe those in a bit. Tests are when a conflict happens. Um, that's all that is. So you're going to need to perform these tests, to perform these actions, perform these fights. You're going to need to know what your attributes are. And the attributes are as follows. <coughs> Excuse me. Tributes are as follows. You have six attributes for both the mechs and the people, the humans. Uh, humans will referencing saying that's what they are, but that they may not be. But there are six attributes, and we're going to describe them really for the characters. Uh, you have fitness, awareness, intellect, willpower, charm, and resources. Fitness is going to measure a character's physical ability. This is the attribute used to pull off feats of raw strength, gymnastic flexibility, long-term endurance. Fitness also makes you good at traditional heroics, like knocking out the bad guy. Um, think um, Yusuke Urameshi is high in fitness. Think uh, the main character from Battle Century G or not? Ooh, wow, that's the, the G, uh, Gundam G Fighters. What I meant to say. I uh, think the main character from uh, think Simone from Gurren Lagann. Uh, he's decent in fitness, especially towards the end of the end of the show. He's, he's got a decent fitness. Uh, maybe not so much uh, Kamina in the first arc. First couple arcs, that would be the um, the fitness character. You have awareness. This is someone who's who keeps attuned to their surroundings, making one perceptive and memory and memorious. Memorious is that a word? <laughs> they memorize. They see. They know the small details. It also gives you an empathetic understanding of other people, telling truth from lies through body language alone. Uh, of course, a character with high awareness can predict and read the actions of others and dif is difficult to surprise. Those ungraced with good awareness tend to blunder into traps, both literal and figurative type. 
Uh, I actually forgot to mention the character with high fitness lives a healthy life and so on and so forth, but it kind of described what that would be. Then you got intellect, which is handling being knowledgeable plus a dose of worldly awareness. Intellect does not correlate directly to education, however. Intellect does not mean educated. They are, uh, it could mean educated, but it does not mean educated straight out. As a character might have poor book learning abilities, but is still enough wits to spare to trick other street smarts versus book smart. Uh, characters with high intellect tend to be critical and objective, some outright believing that knowledge is power. Those with a low intellect tend to barely know enough to get by and aren't very curious about learning. Then you got willpower. Willpower is a combination of character toughness, composure, and morale. It helps them stand their ground against things that they wish they rather didn't. Willpower means pushing through adversity to get your way. And your willpower is going to directly, and I and I want to clean this up, is going to directly tell you how much damage your character can take before your plot layer, plot armor is broken. Okay, you're going to want to keep that in mind. I think awareness is your defense, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, awareness uh, influences defense, uh, how much it takes to actually harm you. And willpower actually takes how much damage you need to take before your your layers of plot armor are gone. Of course, layers of plot armor is some a thing we will discuss in just a little. Then you have charm. Um, charm is helping a character. Charm helps a character perform well socially. The empathetic character can tell exactly who to talk to, how to talk to them. Surprisingly, has the tendency to make more friends and enemies, and is the bard of the group. They are savvy in social arts, and one to others can't help but pour their life stories. A uh, low charm character tends to be ignored at best and despised at worst for being a mix of brash, oblivious, and annoying. Then finally, you have the special resource. You have the special category called resources now this one um whenever you're doing tests wanna, uh, and this will come up later but i want to briefly explain it here so we have an understanding together of why these attributes matter when you're doing a test you roll a d10 you add your fitness you add your your attribute from a scale of one to ten and then the and and, and then that's what your your role is and you compare that versus a difficulty number difficulty numbers often 10 to 15 or 10 to 20 somewhere in that um that is super duper important, folks. I'm telling you right now, it's super. But willpower, resources, resources is this is this catch-all. It's the it's the how rich are you? How well grounded are you? How how much economic and social standpoint do you have? Um, basically, this means you can turn to somebody in your time of need and assist in that person or, or group or organization can help you in a situation. And now resources can take the spot of any of the other tests in a pinch, but you have to have the time to be able to call and make that happen. So then we move on to the mech attributes, also measured from one to 10. These are more limited in nature because giant robots are fighting machines. Duh, that's what these, all these attributes revolve around fighting in some way. Uh, measuring how good an individual mecha is at blowing up stuff or how fast it can fly is more important than measuring how pretty it is or what kind of fuel the enforce. Uh, the six attributes for it are might, energy, guard, systems, threshold, which is the defense of, uh, I believe that's the uh, plot armor. I think guard is defense and threshold is plot armor. My book is got all of these written down. So I've got all these written down in a cheat. So if you're playing with me, I've got you a cheat sheet, my friends. Uh, that that you can quickly look at to kind of get an idea of where what where what is what is what, but um 
and I might type that up and actually put that in the description show notes for the future. It won't be on release, but it'll be the few. If you look down, take a look. It might be the cheat sheet might be down. Um, so let's go over these six as well. Might. Might is the attributes that gives you a fishing target system and raw offensive power. Think, um, think uh, the main character from uh, G Gundam G Fighters with the shining finger. Might is what they are good at. Beating things up, punching them real hard. Uh, of course, or the uh, Barbados Rex uh, from uh, Gundam uh, Iron-Blooded Orphans is high in might. Um, might gauges how good the mecha is at making other mecha explode or how good it is at subduing them with no harm done to the pilot. A mecha with high might might have an easier time landing hits on targets. Conversely, um, and punching through the armor, conversing low might makes for mecha that should stay away from the front line. Energy is a is consumed every time the mecha uses certain abilities like energy barriers or beam weapons. Mecha will replenish their energy conserve reserves constantly. The attribute just measures measures their total output. With high energy, you can use all sorts of equipment and use them more at the same time. Poor energy reserves will render most special equipment unusable or at least make them perform suboptimally. Guard is the counterpart to might. Guard makes your mecha harder to damage through a combination of evasive moves and tough armor. Mecha with a high guard are very difficult to hurt. With high guard, you're not only resilient, but seem invincible once you have a force field equipped. A low guard mecha should be avoid being the center of the enemy attention and needs allies to provide cover for them. Then you have systems. Sometimes you use your mecha for things that require a touch of precision and technical know-how, such as manipulating small objects with huge metal hands, decoding enemy communications, and managing fire suppression systems. Above-average systems makes for versatile mecha that can use support equipment competently. Below-average systems may not seem like much of a problem, but it reduces the range of many weapons and the efficiency of many upgrades. So systems also handles your weapon range, how many zones... Uh, which is how this game handles the map. You you shoot through zones and how many zones you can fire through on an average run uh, or during an operation. Then you have Threshold. Threshold is the second half of making a giant robot that can withstand an assault. It represents how sturdy the mecha is and how well it holds against damage. With a high threshold rate, mecha can hold their own against even the mightiest of blows with relative ease. With a low threshold, uh, mechas don't stand, don't have much of a safety net, and need to stay away from being exploded. And finally... You have speed. To no one's surprise, giant robots are faster than people. Who knew? This The method doesn't matter. You might fly, run, float if you desire, but this attribute is what gauges it. Speed is also handles the mecha's reaction time to the pilot's command. High speeds let, make, let mecha break the speed of sound and draw their guns before their rivals even know they're there. Low speed to the train motor robots who only move slightly faster than a regular person never get to see, shoot first. Those two pages, by the way, were, were 17 and 18 in the book. And I'm going to quickly go over what each number 1 to 10 means for your character and your mech. So at a rank 0, your mech, this, this attribute is crippled. Uh, an attribute this low makes for a character with a noticeable handicap. They may be missing body parts, suffer some sort of illness or disease, or something else dire. Um, keep in mind, if you choose something to be 0, you are purposely crippling that stat and I would expect you to play it as such. Uh, also, I typically don't let things like intellect be zero unless you have an idea of what that is. As for me personally, as a GM, there's certain things I don't let be zero because it, it requires a certain person to play that properly and handle that with the respect it needs because it does need a touch of respect to play anything the zero rank. Uh, ranks of one and two are poor. Uh, this character is impaired in that attribute, really doesn't have a scrap of natural talent. They're typically rather not good at what that talent 
or what that attribute handles. Rank three to four is they're mediocre. They're not bad at what they do, but they're not great at what they do. They're just average. Three and four are average ranks. You're not going to win a competition, but you can definitely handle your own uh, normally. Uh, ranks five and six are good. This is you have a you have a, diff, a decent natural talent on this object, or you've trained yourself decently, uh, and you can stand out from the crowd. This is the this is the faster runners and track team. This is the not ace pilots, but this is the people who definitely you want behind your ace pilots. Um, then you have rank seven or eight, which are notable. These people are the they're not the top dogs, but they're definitely exceptional, and everyone knows that they are. And then 9 and 10, these are godlike, effectively. No, not many people reach this point. Uh, and those who are due are the heroes of whatever world or game you're playing. Beyond rank 10, um, because it costs so many points to reach that rank. Um, now, keep in mind, every time you advance uh, for a point, each level costs the amount of points that it needs. So a rank 2 it costs... Two rank three costs three rank four costs four um costs four character points or mecha points right um and mecha points and character points are these points that you spend to upgrade your mecha it's a point by system uh rank 11 and beyond which are very very difficult to reach for any normal character uh means this is a legendary character and if an attribute gets there it's relevant to the story normally this is uh, Simone becoming a spiral level world galaxy breaker level. That's legendary, right? That That is the legendary status getting there. Of course, uh, the page that that's on also covers advancement, which I briefly covered. Uh, every session or episode, you'll gain a little bit of XP. Normally, uh, depending on your GM, it'll be three or six XP uh, per, per episode. Um, and then you add the XP total to your character and mecha sheets to keep track of it. After you gain 30 XP, you go up a power level and you gain 30 character. Um, and, and basically that raises your power level. Power levels are going to be explained here in just a second. Uh, also, anytime you gain XP, you also gain the same amount of character points and mecha points. And then you can use that to augment your, power, your, your attributes or get new skills and traits, which we will discuss when we talk about character creation. Uh, which is quite a bit bigger topic than even what we're talking about now. Uh, we are we we still have a, a lot to go through before we're done with this. That's why I said this may be a multiple part series just breaking down this game. Uh, and you're going to want to look out for uh, I've got another another one coming up actually after that. We'll, we'll discuss that at the end. Um, of course, your XP. Uh, can be used to power up your mecha as well. Pilot a mecha, new skills, upgrades, all that good jazz. Then you have genre, themes, and points. Uh, if the attributes just find what your characters are like, the themes will revolve their life, what their life's around. Of course, this will go into, uh, this will be in more in the character creation area. Uh, so we're kind of going to blast through this a little bit. And if you're reading the book along with me, you can just quickly glance over this, by the way. Um, and a genre, the genre themes are going to be um, things that recommend your, your complications to you, your development or advancing the plot. Uh, you're awarded a genre point for every effort. You also start with enough genre points that equal to your power level. Uh, genre points can be used. Um, looking here just real quick. They can be used to activate special abilities called genre powers. 
uh, which we'll go over in character creation, and those are specific special moves that are going to help you on the field of battle. Uh, so then we have, what does XP do? What is XP? So every 30 XP, you get a power level. Uh, from 0 to 30, you're level 1. You're faceless. You're a mook, effectively. From 31 to 60, you're talented. You guys, this is good. This is a starting point. Level uh, level 2 heroic is 61 to 90 XP. You've earned a name for yourself in the world, and you're beginning to show your true power. Level uh, 91 to 20, 120 is you are epic, you're elite. This is, if you got this, if you're level 3, this is probably where if you're playing a full season, uh, like a 24-episode season or a six or a 48-episode season, um, which oftentimes what Mecha is, this is where the mid-season upgrade is about to happen. Um, and level 4 is mythical, 121 to 150. This is, you are effectively, you're, you're the, you're the, you are the the king shit, right? This is your you've already got your upgrade and you are now a mover and shaker. Your weapon, your your you are a weapon at this point. And then you have level five, which is godly. Uh this is again Simone and Girl Gone. Uh, of course, want to note that all characters also start with 100 XP no matter what. They always start at 100 XP. Um and you can spend that on your starting your character. And most groups start at level one, which is you end up with a 130. So let's briefly discuss, discuss tests. Now, tests is when you roll a dice, uh, when a conflict right ha occurs. Most things you do will not be tests, by the way. Uh, tests only happen when a, a action's outcome will have significant consequences. Um, basically, you, you, like fighting is a uh, test, but... Um, pouring sugar in your coffee. That's not a test. You dad, right? Um, so here's how the difficulty numbers, which I discussed briefly earlier, uh, work. And I discussed earlier, it's roll 1d10, add the corresponding attribute, compare it to the difficulty. Uh, a difficulty number of five is easier than fiction. Um, a difficulty of 10 or around 10 is leave it to the experts. This is disarming a bomb. A 10 is a, 10 is something you need to be decent at. 15 is this is really hard and 20 if you have a difficulty 20 this is olympic level you're oozing bolt i probably said his name wrong and i apologize you are this is a this is the big dog so we have uh, defense sub attributes for pilots and mecha and to strike at a pilot or mecha if you're going to attack them and damage them you have to beat their defense dn with your test uh, for pilots, it's awareness plus five, and for mecha, it's guard plus five. Uh, when a test is made to hurt a pilot or mecha, it surpasses the difficulty number. The character in question suffers a amount of damage equal to that roll. Um, if you meet, if so, so equal to how much that roll beat the, the defense. So let's say their defense is nine, and you rolled a a fifteen, for example. Uh, you're only going to hurt them for six damage. Okay, keep that in mind. Um, if you match, it causes nothing. It may you, it may cause a stun or something like that, but it does no damage if you. Um, all pilots have a plot armor substitute as well, depending representing how much damage they can go before it lights out. Plot armor is measured in layers, of which each character has three. You have three layers. Uh, when you take damage, you remove the and 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 I believe Mecha has four layers. I believe something like that. Um, yeah, Mecha is four layers, works just like plot armor, and they lose limbs instead of the body instead of being knocked out, or instead of having a chance to be knocked out earlier. When you take, when you remove a number of points from the topmost layer, once it is out of points, you move on to the next plot layer. Losing each layer has a chance of going down, you going down with it, getting progressively harder 
until the last layer goes down and you basically fall. Uh, mecha's the same way. You have a chance of losing body parts or moving parts of your mecha as that goes down, and rules with those will be explained. You also have advantages and disadvantages to basically be, to basically explain what this is. Advantages is you have a good, like let's say your teammate's helping you work on a, to fix your car uh, so you can get to the battlefield or you can get to do whatever you need to do for the for the scene. Advantage means you can roll two D10s and you keep the better of the two results. If something was to put you into disadvantage, you would instead roll two dice and get the worst of the two. All right. And that's basically how that. Uh, if your tests should be affected by both an advantage or disadvantage, they cancel out. And they're uh, intermission rules. Uh, there are many types of tests that can be used during various uh, scenes. Um, let's see here. There are skill tests, which is 1d10 plus the attribute. That comes, uh, basically, uh, that's dealing with picking a lock, fixing a car, something like that, that has, and keep in mind, these are things that have consequences. So if, it, if you're having to roll to fix your car, you know, it could be you're trying to outrun a nuclear strike, you're trying to outrun an enemy mech, you're trying to outrun something that's coming after you. If the, uh, it's to pick a door, pick a lock, or to hack into a computer system, or something like that. If you're running into a skill test, there's probably a big consequence behind it, and that's why the excuse me, that's why the skill test is being done. Uh, then there's a contested test, which is like fighting, or someone else has said no, we don't want you to do this, and that's when that's going to be coming up. Uh, basically, a contested test, the same same idea. You roll to a one d one d ten against and plus your uh, your modifier, your your tribute, and against another player or an NPC and the highest result is the winner. Uh, then you have an extended test and these are tests that effectively this is something you're doing over the course of a day, right? Um, this is something like um, research. If you're doing a researching for a really tough subject, these are an extended one and you want to do uh, like really well, right? These are much like regular skill tests. You continue rolling after the first attempt to reverse a misstep maybe you're looking for something very specific in the research so you're researching this could take like an hour or so and you get to uh take multiple roles for um each attempt to find this information so one role uh the first role you know okay if you fail that first role for finding the research you can have an hour and pass in game and roll again to continue looking and that's continuing uh beyond that uh, by taking double the suggested time to perform the test, by the way, you gain an advantage. Um, and by taking the test, by taking quadruple to take do that test, it take, gains two advantage. Uh, as then you have mixed tests, which are kind of mixed options. Uh, these are two or more tests roll at the same time, use the same dice, um, averaging the ranks of the appropriate attributes. This does not come up very often, but when they come up, that's how that works. A help test is when you aid a friend. Uh, and you gain, uh, the friend will gain an advantage to their own test through a mul for each multiple of 10 that you meet with their help test. Uh, of course, a tribute tests, uh, goes through that and you have a healing test, which, um, does, uh, allows you to heal layers done through the medicine skill. Of course, um, this allows you, allows a layer of plot armor you intend to heal and you can only heal that layer if you succeed. Uh, this allows you to uh, basically grow your plot armor back during the session. Normally, that doesn't. Normally, it does grow back after a session's done. Um, but that's there. And the equipment tests are the same way. Then you have matches. Now, this is the the big part. These are combat 
This is combat. This is how combat works. Let's go quickly through this. So a combat, again, is really when it comes down to it. Combats are rounds or turns that each character takes, takes an action. And a combat works just like in any other, like if you played an RPG, you know what combat is. So here's how it breaks down. And if you haven't played an RPG, tabletop or, or video game, uh, it basically it's, it's where two characters do to fisticuffs. So here's the match structure. And if you're familiar with that at all, that's you, you kind of already have an idea. You have surprise round. You have the step one, which is surprise. If um, if you're surprised, the, the uh, tension is at zero in the surprise, and I'll go over tension later. Um, let's see here. Tension is a rule. Actually, I'll go over it right now. Forget it. We'll go over it right now. Tension is a dramatic rise in stakes during the ebb and flows of combat and does so as a bonus to all offensive tests during a match. It always starts as one, except with surprise. The surprise round's always at zero. It starts as one and increases one every round. So every time it goes around to the first player that went, tension goes up. And it goes up one, then two, and so on and so forth. It is a bonus to any test made to harm others. So a tension of five during round five adds a bonus of plus five. Tension makes matters start that start out slow evolve into a frenzy of super attacks over the course of time and allows attrition to defeat an enemy that was invincible. Tension is amazing, lets the battles really move quickly and efficiently. So, of course, we talked about surprise, of course. Surprise is surprise! You got a surprise round and someone else gets initiative first and they have advantage to any offensive or disruption tests to those surprised. Uh, then you first, then you establish your initiative. You go uh, determine who goes first with a mixed awareness and fitness test from each participant. This is where you average the two, um, two together. You add them and then divide them by two. Uh, and and on the sheet there is a this is your awareness. This is your initiative score. So that's going to be handled by the character sheet. Uh, but just you know what it is. The result. Uh, becomes the character's initiative for the match, the entire match, and represents how fast they can act in comparison to other players, other characters. Uh, then you go from highest to lowest and no down. Allies might trade initiatives with each other at the beginning of a new round if they wish to do so. That means if you want your compatriot to go first before you, you can trade initiative spots with them. Um, then you have setting tension. Tension sets to one at the beginning of, of the first round and goes up every round. Okay. Then you start the round. They begin by taking turns. Of course, duh. Turns are divided into three phases. You have the beginning phase, which is decides what their characters do and how. You have the action phase, which is during, uh, basically, the PC at that point can uh, move to one zone adjacent to another, but the movement takes place before the rest of their action, not after. Most actions require you to roll tests. Once the action is done, proceed to the end phase. Uh, once the action character takes their action, the effects of that actions are narrated and described, and then it goes on to the next player's turn, and you end the round. So it really just goes like this, and I'm going to basically break down how a combat goes. We roll initiative. Everyone's initiative is taken. Setting the tension is set. Character go first. First character goes. They decide an action. They decide if they want to move or not, whether they're readying a firearm, taking a few steps, whatever they may do. This is, this is the uh, free action. Then they decide what they're going to do if they want to move and attack, right? So they're going to move one and do an attack on an enemy. Then that gets resolved in the end phase and the next player goes. And this goes all the way around the table plus the NPCs until the end of the round. This works like much like a traditional turn-based combat. Um, 
in my groups, I do like a, uh, I, I, I'm very much a, a, a person who I like, I like everyone to be involved. So I like everyone to be talking and I like everyone to be discussing tactics. So I also am very big on setting timers. Um, I know that you should be thinking quickly and I typically set a two minute timer on every turn. So I start that at every turn and this is, you know, you as a GM can handle it differently, but this creates, this creates a big Okay, what do we do? 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 It creates a good bop, 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 ba, dop, bop, ba, dop, right? Keep, keep moving. So zones take care. Everything must take place somewhere. The area where matches take place are zones. A zone is essentially a small area people can move in and out of for just a few seconds. Just a few seconds. A house is broken down into individual rooms will in hallways, each of which is a zone. For example, by the way, zones might have an effect on the match in the form of advantages or disadvantages or mix of both. Um, and you can only use offensive or disruption tests against other characters in the same zone. Be aware of that. Unless you have something that is a ranged ability that can attack a cross zone. Uh, just be aware of that. Uh, there are special uh, things that can cross zones. Uh, but for the majority of fighting, if they're not in the same zone, you're not attacking them. Just outright. So, match actions. You have offensive only offensive tests benefit from tension. Um, and... When using an offensive action, you can move towards the target or circle around him. You also stand still, but don't let you go backwards or increase your distance between you and the target because you're still inside the zone. Keep in mind, once you're in the zone, positioning is mostly fictional at that point. Uh, it's not relevant to what's happening, but beneficial to the narrative. Of course, you have an attack um, that is you know, doing damage. You have buildup, which allows you to, your next offensive test, you can gain two advantages against you do a build up, by the way, which is fun that you lose a turn, but you can build up. You can delay. You can choose any other action in another character's initiative. You take your action after that character's turn. You can disrupt. You make an offensive test, but you only deal half the damage you do. But the enemy suffers a disadvantage to their next test. You can maneuver. Um, so maneuver allows you to increase your defense by an amount equal to the attribute for a round. Uh, that is actually pretty cool. That allows you to defend and you can run, uh, allows you to up the pace and hustle as fast as you can. You don't have to roll any tests, but this allows you to move two zones and get out of the way. All right. Uh, damage and defeat. Your plot armor is divided into three layers. Uh, when you take damage, it goes to the first layer. When the layer, uh, cannot take any more damage, you lose that layer and the layer immediately blows, receives damage. When you lose a layer, you must just test your willpower against a damage or a difficulty number of 10 for losing the first layer, 15 for second, 20 for third. Failing instantly, failing any of these means you're defeated. Should you pass your last test, you may continue going on until you take damage again, in which at what time you must take another DN20 test. Uh, damage to your plot armor heals over time. The first layer heals between scenes. Second layer does between episodes. And third layer heals between arcs. Now, of course, this is your plot armor for your character, not your mecha. That is handled differently. There's also some proxy information here as well. And that covers that. Now, there is also some operations specifically for operations. Now, keep in mind the match I just talked about was if a scene escalated for a character. Um, and it does say now the, the talking about range stuff that is specifically if you have a weapon like that. then you have operations. I want to make sure that's clear. You have operations, which are matches, same thing as matches, except they're with giant robots. So you start the match by choosing a, by, um, choosing your equipment combinations, whatever it may be. Um, 
normally it takes place before operation begins proper, but it's step zero. Then you do uh, initiative, which you do by uh, having each unit test speed and using the result as the highest in as initiative. Of course, same way. You then enter the battle entering formation. If there's a base unit, the base unit typically deploys first at the edge of the battlefield. Other than base units, which always receive priority, the unit that takes its first turn is the first to enter formation. Same is true for second. So squads with a base unit may either deploy a number of zones away from their base unit, no higher than their speed, or the dock inside of it. There is no base unit each side normally the edge of the battlefield. Course tension is set the same way, and the round works very similarly. During the beginning phase, unit refreshes all energy, and that's where the energy stat comes into play, and decides how they will act this turn. They decide what they're going to do. They may also use abilities that do not require an action, uh, such as the setup genre powers. Um, then they take their action. They can move a number of zones equal to their speed attribute before their action proper takes place but not afterwards most of the time in battlefield scenarios i will set up the battlefield if it's like a big battlefield i will set it up in five um it's not five foot grid but basically a grid of of zones and then you will go across the grid now typically it's a pretty even amount depending on what the situation is um how the canvas works uh, as far as sizing, because mechas are pretty big and you want to kind of have an accurate idea. Uh, you do want to play with a map, by the way. Uh, but you can move a number of zones equal to the speed attribute before the action takes place proper, but not afterwards. Then you move. Anyways, zones and ranges. This is important. I was just talking about that. Battle Century G extracts, extract, abstracts three times abstracts distances and treats all mecha as if they were roughly the same size, very large or small mecha are represented through favorable, flavorful, flavorful, flavorful distribution of attributes. For example, small and fast mecha may have high guard and speed, but low threshold mech. Anyways, terrain and movement for every meaningful lot of terrain during an operation is a zone with a designated area that no clearly defined range. It can represent a city block or the insides of a warehouse. It only needs to be a distance when your mecha could reasonably be covered to strike at someone in melee for a few seconds. Um, it says it does not mean you actually measure distance in meters. Don't do it. It says it works better if you leave it to the imagination. So you can have like, I can say basically, you know, in the fictional, um, like I, I have been told that this works really well with the map, but if you don't want to use a map, you want to use your imagination for this. Um, a zone is effectively how far can your mech move reliably in one or two seconds? And that depends on what your mecha can do. That is a zone, right? And each like mechs can have different zone ranges as well. Um, but it's basically a dead, basically in like a combat, you would have like a map quickly drawn. Here is like a chess board or a chess map. Uh, they say if you want to use a map like a chess or a hex board, each square or hex is a zone. If you want to treat them as a fixed distance, you should do an easy number to remember, making like 10 square meters or something like that, um, or so on and so forth. And you can you can change it up and have really unique maps with unique zone layouts. But if you don't want to use a map, just be reasonable with it. Be reasonable going, okay, like let's say the character is three blocks away. The enemy is three blocks. Let's say you're fighting in a city and the enemy mech is three blocks away. Well, you could reasonably say that's three zones away, right? Um, and that's kind of how you could do that. Uh, but it's really up to you, really up to you as the GM. And uh, is if as a player, you're going to want to discuss it with your GM. Uh, again, there is a series of actions you can take offensive, 
and utility. Um, I'm going to briefly go over these. You have attack, uh, which is a test, a might test, of course. You have aim, which allows you to take advantage on your next might test. You have assist, where you can assist another enemy or another ally. Uh, suppress, which you can um, basically half the damage you dealt, but it actually gives the enemy a disadvantage. You can engage an enemy. Um, this allows you to duel an enemy, which is a range zero. They have to be in the same zone as you. Uh, but you basically, um, your the units inside the duel are locked at range zero. You'll want to read over this to, uh, to get an idea of how it works. But basically, this is a duel between two mechs specifically. Then utility actions. Um, you can accelerate. Utility actions allow you to move. You can accelerate as much as you want to as possible. You can move up two times your speed. It uh, doesn't require you to move in a straight line. You can maneuver, of course. Uh, this allows you to choose systems or speed, and you can increase your defense by that. You can delay just like you could in a match. You can disengage by getting the frick out of there, or you could dock with your base, if you have a base unit, uh, to dock with. Uh, damage and maiming in a um, operation works as follows. Mechas have four layers of plot armor, right? Or threshold, as it's called in this. Uh, four layers. When a uh, damage reaches, reduces the defender's threshold down to one down one level, it'll maim one of the defender's areas, disabling any weapons or upgrades there. Now, you kind of got an idea of that, right? Um, if you lose all four layers of threshold, uh, it's you're dead. The mecha is destroyed. Not destroyed, but maimed to a point where it can't be used. Um, so there's that. Uh, the core is where it high, where it's got the um, critical system. Sometimes the pilot sits in the core. Um, but if uh, basically if the core is almost destroyed, you can eject out. It'll place you one one away. Most I want to I want to say most times uh, in most games you'll play uh, ejecting your core will uh, spare you. And most games honestly uh, will not have you dead uh most animes will not kill a character unless the player is uh there's options for terrain there's also options for character versus mecha but why a uh, character versus mecha would be like a group an army shooting down a mecha typically you don't have that happen there are some scenarios where it does but typically that's not going to happen um, and that, that actually covers everything. Uh, then you have the end of operation stuff, but that covers everything. 47 minutes. Holy cow. Um, so that is battle. That is how to play battle century G. Now, if you like this, let me know and we'll go over character creation. If you didn't like this, I'm sorry. I hope you had a wonderful day otherwise, but yeah, that is how to play battle century G. What did you think? Is this a game you would want to play? I, love the system i've only got to play it once but i absolutely adore the system and i really want to play more i want to run battle century g games uh but finding mecha fans is very difficult in this day and age for some reason um but with that said if you like this check back next week where we're going to be taking a look at animon story I'm going to be doing a how to play breakdown on that. If we have enough time, I'll go over character creation as well. I don't know if we will. There's a lot to break down in an hour. That's the, the time frame we're going to be doing. Check out Wednesday where we're going to be playing B-Rogue as a group with the rest of the audio-only Let's Play podcast group. Loka, uh, Loka, Troy, uh, Skelly are all going to do, be doing it. You want to check out on all our channels. We'll be about 45 minutes to an hour of B-Rogue. You're not going to miss that. And... 
Roll that in card. I'll catch you next time. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by me, Kylie Kane. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash theversian. You can also find me on Patreon, where you can support the cast at patreon.com slash Kylie Kane. If you want to see me live, you can watch me at Twitch at twitch.com slash Kaido Kane, where I stream games like Minecraft, Final Fantasy XIV, Diablo 2, and other roguelikes. Thank you for listening.